Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we analyze pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. I'm your host, Julia Washington, and on today's show, we are discussing Antony and Violet Bridgerton from season two. My guest is Cindy Marie Jenkins, but first, this message. If you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member. Become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. Bridgerton season two premiered on March 25th, 2022. Season two focuses on Anthony Bridgerton's quest for love as, or as Anthony feels, just finding his Viscountess. But before we dive in, let me introduce you to my guest. And you can hear my dog in the background. I apologize. <laughs> Cindy Marie Jenkins writes at the intersection of parenting, tech, work, and pop culture. A member of the Authors Guild and the Nonfiction Writers Association, she's been published all the way from the last bookstore in Los Angeles to the Mary Sue in Beijing Kids. Cindy's workshops have been hosted by the National Endowment for the Arts, Theater Asylum, and the Orange County Public Library, among others. She coaches working parents and entrepreneurs entrepreneurial artists serving on neighborhood councils and leadership committees like the Directors Lab West and the Los Angeles Female Playwrights Initiative. She now serves on the National Women's Theater Festival Board, an organization devoted to gender parity and radical inclusion in the arts. Oh, I love that. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited you're here. You have a lot of, um, your background's really interesting to me because you're very focused on the arts and I love that. And so many people will be like, yeah, I love the arts. And then they have like, quote, a day job. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, no, you can have a day job in the arts too, guys. (laughs) You can, you can merge them. Um, Yeah, I grew up in in a theater, quite literally, so. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. That's the best. The theater doesn't, I feel like the theater, like everyone kind of gives community theater, like it's got like a uh, feel to it, but I mean, everyone like without it, what are we going to do? Like, I don't live anywhere near a major theater. I have to drive two hours for that. So we are dependent on our community theater and sometimes they do things that major theaters can't do. So. Yeah. We had, my parents ran one from the time I was five to about 15. So it was like just always part of my life yeah oh I love that okay so before we dive in our actual topic um as I mentioned offline to you our our theme this season is wealthy women in the media and so I'm asking every guest because so far the majority of our guests are women (laughs) so I'm asking all of our guests um this season do you remember what you thought of rich or wealthy women or what messages you received about wealth and money when you were a kid Yeah, I mean, I think that my first actual impressions of what a wealthy woman was, was like, from the 80s. So we're talking like big hair, like soap operas, and, you know, lots of affairs, ladies who lunch, you 
you know, it wasn't until like designing women and Murphy Brown that I just saw like working, like people, women who work for their money and who yeah. really enjoy it and are like good at their job. And, mm -hmm. but yeah, I just, it's all about hairspray for wealthy women. Yeah. <laughs> I love Murphy Brown so hard. Like, I feel like she was kind of like the, to me, she was for me. She was the person who was like, you can be rich. You can have a, like a solid career and you don't have to be liked, but people still love you. Mm -hmm. There's so many moments from her show that are just etched into my brain and pop up randomly. Yeah. Love did her. you, um, when they brought back, when they brought back the reboot, did you ever watch it? No, I never, I never saw that. I feel like that's okay. You don't need to. It wasn't that great. <laughs> like they took this strong woman who was like a force to be reckoned with. Um, and she was just kind of whiny and just worried, like so worried about her 30 year old son, which whatever fair, um, but it, the way that it was like, it was like, what we missed this growth but from Murphy, like with where the season series ended to now, I feel like I'm missing something. Like, who is this woman? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem like it would fit. In an interview with Town and Country, Ruth Gemmel shared this insight. Quote, Anthony suddenly takes on this mantle of being the head of the household way, way before he is ready and also very suddenly. This is quite tra a traumatic, shocking moment for him. End quote. In episode one, Anthony requests his mother's engagement ring. She's taken aback by this and responds with, she'll turn it over when there's someone to propose to. The dynamic between Anthony and Violet is one that I find interesting. She is a woman who lost her husband at a young age and still has young children to raise while launching her grown children into society. Throughout all of season two and some of season one, we see Violet and Anthony battle each other. Violet was a woman who had it all. She was envied for her love, family, and position. The height of her social standing was cut short by the death of her husband and her eldest son becoming Viscount. Being a dowager usually conjures up images of older widowed women, not women who have 12-year-olds in the home. In an article from Romper, writer Michelle Yang writes, each Bridgerton mother breaks free from societal rules and conditioning to fight for and protect their adult children in unexpected in unexpected, inspiring ways. This is all to say, Bridgerton season two gifts audiences with epic mom moments. They were the type of speeches some of us didn't even know we needed to hear. Eloquent affirmations, apologies, and regrets we may never hear verbalized in real life. This series reminds us of the importance of our relationship with our mothers, which shapes the type of parents and humans we we become end quote so I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between Violet and Anthony how do you think this shift affected Violet's relationship with her son um well I you know in the in the episode in the series which is not in the book but yeah. we'll, get, we'll get into that later um that moment when she's giving birth right after Edmund dies and it's up to and he doesn't even realize that she that the doctors are asking him that he has to decide who is living or dying mm -hmm. her or the baby you know he doesn't he, he's still distraught from everything and and she is trying to to reclaim the fact that it's her decision which in that time period was 
not the case. And mm -hmm. I'm so, I love, I love Ruth Gemmell as well, but I love Violet. But then, you know, he does, he can't answer that. And yeah. I, I, I found that scene so harrowing as it was supposed to be. But we didn't see that until episode three, right? Mm -hmm. So, which I thought, I, I remembered it like right at the beginning of the series. So it kind of took me for a shock. Um, but from the, you can tell from even season one when he's kind of an ass. Excuse me. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, we are, we are a, we are a spoiler filled cussing show. <laughs> okay, great. Um, you know, he, I still loved him because, like, look at him. But I did yeah. not love how he acted toward Daphne and his mother very much. But in season one, so I think season two, we really had to get on his side really quickly. Mm -hmm. But not the first two episodes. You know, like, I remember when he mentions, oh, yeah, I, I added to your coffers for uh, the modiste and this and that. And then we see him struggling with bills and, but then taking money for his prostitutes, you know, mm -hmm. it's, he has to control all the money. He's supposed to control the marriages. And I think that it, it's only because his is getting a little out of control that she can claim her power again later in the series. Mm -hmm. Like it's, um, I don't, there's just so much, like you said, all of those scenes, all of those moments, and then Daphne coming in as like the father figure near the end. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it really runs us through our paces this season. And yeah. Violet is not that strong a character until like episode five. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it was a fascinating evolution that she like, she knows that he's in charge and she really needs to let him be in charge, but then he's screwing up. Yeah. <laughs> On his own wedding. Like it's like she could step in, you know, for other kids, maybe a little bit more than she could for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think she really got to be his mom that yeah. much yeah. as growing because he's supposed to be like nine. What he's only in his teens when Edmund dies, but yeah. Um yeah, she never, like, so hard, like, never even got to really be his mom. Mm -hmm. And especially, too, when it comes to, like, you know, I got the sense that Violet was really involved with Edmund when it came to, like, decisions of the, the household and the finances and all that stuff, which isn't typical for that time period. So to go from being so involved to having this sort of kid who's like I'm supposed to be a man and you're like yeah but men don't say that <laughs> like yeah. men are and, just and men <laughs> and even from the very beginning like he says okay I'm gonna get someone I'm gonna find somebody here are my qualifications yeah. and she will be the new Viscountess and then like what does Violet do yeah exactly <laughs> and that's that's what I thought. Like, so I thought the scene where he asked for the ring was so beautifully done because she, like, to me, she, she responded it initially, you're like, okay, she's responding very practically because it's like, honey, you don't have anybody to give the ring to, but really the layers are, she's not ready to part with it because she's still like, she's still in love with Edmund. She still has all these emotions about her engagement and the life that's sort of unlived because he died so young. And, and I thought 
they did a really good job with making that feel more deep than what you initially think. Um, I can't even. He keeps it back where Mm -hmm. in their country house, you know, the ring isn't even, there's nowhere near Tong. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, yeah, I just wanted to smack Anthony. Listen to your mother, like use her as a guidance. Like it wasn't like he understood, like, cause it wasn't like he had the training that he would have had if his dad had been alive all this time you know he would have probably brought him into the fold and shown him how things work etc and then you know so they're both sort of missing a piece um that they don't get to grow into a scene that I forgot about too is that like when she breaks down you know after after that she gives birth to Hyacinth um and she breaks down and in front of him about how she's trying to keep it together. Yeah. And I mean, my parent, my, my mom did that occasionally. My, I try not to do that, but, but still show like emotional um, growth and everything with my kids. But like, you can just tell he's not ready to see her that fragile. Yeah. And it's not, really fair to him but she has nobody else to talk to about it so it that that scene especially on the second um viewing really just broke my heart because like they just both need each other so much and she is she can't give it to him right then yeah he kind of lost both his parents um especially with the kind of marriage they had Mm -hmm. yeah because it becomes this thing of like I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm always in a situation where I'm just like, you know, there are days where I'm just like, I can't with my parents. But then there are days where I'm just like, I'm like, I'm a grown ass woman. And today I need my mother. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, I, we love my, my husband reintroduced me to MASH, the TV yeah. series. And there is this amazing episode where Frank, after, you know, having an affair with Hot Lips Hulahan and everything, and then she has another uh, guy. And at the end, Radar calls his mother and he says, like, some days uh, you just really need your mom. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, well, it is like, yeah, I, there are many days I'm like, we'll text. That's great, mom. Great. Okay, cool. And then I'll just call. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's learned to just pick up whatever because, like, when is that going to come again? Right. Right. Oh, gosh. So, you know, not a lot of, parents and mothers are in a situation where they have like the wealth and power that the Bridgertons have do you think having that wealth and power changes the relationship between mother and son um like would they have would their relationship have progressed differently without the wealth yeah Yeah, because there's so much pressure to keep it Mm -hmm. you know so she really it feels like she becomes in charge of keeping the face keeping the their standing you know because to a certain extent he can do whatever he wants um outside of virgins but like he has to keep the whole fortune and the whole family together Mm -hmm. um which seems like more of a challenge even even with that society um because it just it's all inherited, right? <laughs> like, 
we don't even have time to get into where they got that money from. Yeah, uh, seriously. <laughs> We're just going to uh, sidestep that conversation for yeah. another day. <laughs> yeah, I went down too many rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they have to keep it, you know, and I, lo- I actually love all the parallels with the families in this one because like, can't stand Lady Featherington and I grew to adore her but they're such a great example of what happens when you lose your money and you're just desperate and um you know there is a chance that you can lose it yeah and there's a a great chance you know that Colin almost gets caught up in in as well Mm -hmm. um so it's it's strange like they have so many they, they, they have constant streams of income, it seems, from being landowners or investments or whatnot, but it could all end. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, you know, I know how, how extremely stressful it is, like, when my husband stepped into the primary caregiver position, I mean, primary um, moneymaker mm-hmm. <laughs> position in our family, and... Um, and that puts so much stress onto every little stress of the job, yeah. you know, so, and it, and it stressed us out together um, with that dynamic. Mm-hmm. So I, it, I can't imagine like as the mother being dependent on the son to understand how to keep all of that together and how to, you know, how much can they spend on the modiste? It mm-hmm. seems like it's endless to us, but I'm sure he has budgeted or Eloise is coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Big old Actually, feather on her. Yeah. <laughs> Minus the feather. Yeah, the um, feather was a little much. Yeah. <laughs> but the dress was beautiful. Yeah. And like, and I know, like, there was this whole thing about, you know, if you didn't have new fabric that season, then, mm-hmm. well, people can know. People understand. Yeah. They have nothing more to do than keep track of what fabric you're wearing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. I I thought it was really like interesting too because when I reflected on season one and how adamant he was for Daphne to marry um that gross guy whose name I'm oh. forgetting yeah. and and you're just like and and you know um Violet's just like I don't understand what you're doing to our daughter do you not do you not get what we've done here like your father and I are a love match I want you all <laughs> to be love matches like like and then and then that really sets up for season two in a nice way because again anthony's not thinking like i should find a love match i just he's like i just have to get this done and poor violet's like like i was just in my mind she's like girl i need you to get your shit together and figure out that you do need a love match (laughs) yeah and and i've been trying to show you this whole time yeah oh my god i couldn't stand him in season one i'm like the Duke is actually a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, cool your jets. Daphne could totally do worse, which you tried to do to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I always find it fascinating, too, that, like, having listened to both books. Yeah. Um, it's like the guys have this major mental block. It's like, and it's a ridiculous mental block. But at least the Dukes, you understood his motivation for it um and I thought this like shifting it in the series to being more about his responsibility to the family and the checklist really worked well because it Mm -hmm. was um it gave it gave him and Kate a much stronger connection 
um, which I thought was beautiful. And um, I know people hated the strung out glares and I was like, give me more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll see Benedict do whatever he wants, but like, give me more seductive stares. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and Kate, like she's hot too. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, back to the mother son. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I cannot imagine having to ask for money. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, for, go, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, I know that, like, even for instance, I know many couples for who the, like, they have separate accounts and they work mm-hmm. it out together and it's great for them. And, like, we've never been that way, but we are also just, like, extremely open and, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, you know, there was, there was a thing when we lived overseas that because everything, including the bank account was in his name, there was, if you didn't get, find a, a way to get through it, he would have to essentially give me an allowance every time we got there. Oh gosh. And we were like, no, <laughs> no, what can we do? And we figured out a way around it, but because it was just like, no way. Yeah. Um, it just didn't feel right for the dynamic for the dynamic we have, which mm-hmm. it's close it's closer to Edmund and Violet. So yeah, to go from like that kind of collaborative relationship in life to your son, who, as she said, was born out of this body. Yeah, you remember you saw his diapers. You brought him up like it. Ugh. Yeah, it's like when I when too when I was kind of reflecting on this week, I thought because as we know, the queen passed away in you know mm-hmm. September, and just thinking about my friend and I were talking about the crown, and you know I told her I said what the crown did for me was help me understand just the hurdles Elizabeth had to be queen because of this patriarchal bullshit and this you know the way that women are viewed and yada yada, and I she said. That. Me too. And she said, what the crown taught me was Elizabeth hated Charles. And I was like, you know what? That's actually kind of like, like, how hard is that to be like, I know you're next. So it puts like, it's it's almost like you have this immediate barrier to mothering because you know that that's your replacement. And it almost is this, it almost not as dramatically, but it cut, you can kind of apply that also to Violet and Anthony because even though like the Viscount, whatever the, however the uh, tense is supposed to be in that scenario, even though like that is a passed down thing, it's not, you know, you're not always necessarily like looking at your child and thinking you're next and I'm not mm-hmm. ready. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you are thinking like you're next and we need to train you up for this and da da da. And so it, you know, I always I felt like, God, that's gotta be hard to be in a position where you eventually have to pass your titles and everything to the next person. Like, how would that affect because my mm-hmm. son and I are well, I'll say it. I don't know if he agrees, but I'm gonna assume he agrees. My son and I are close. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he came home one weekend for um from college just because, you know, he was like, I just wanted to come home. And we talk 
sort of regular. So I can't imagine being in a position where we're immediately set apart from each other because of our situ our station in life like that to me would and I would probably be like Diana where I'm just like screw your rules (laughs) I'm loving on my babies (laughs) I know oh yeah I mean I had about five minutes of sympathy for Charles and then it came back for like spurts and then it was done um but yeah they did a good job of making that relationship weird um and and yeah, I mean, if she, if Violet was really that involved in the day-to-day and the books, which really feels like they were, I'm sure that after he died, just like they did for her birth room, like everyone in charge, just, okay, it's Anthony now. Yeah. You know, Edmund's the one that opened up for her. Yeah. Edmund's the one, and what a sweet actor they chose for Edmund. But yeah. like, what he's the one that like made it, that had the power to make it a relationship. I actually wanted to find out if he was the Viscount or if, if she was with the title and he married into it, but I couldn't figure that out. Um, oh, I bet that's interesting. There is a prequel with about Violet and Edmund. Right. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but there's a prequel. I wonder if it explains it in the prequel. Okay, I might have to read that next yeah I haven't gone down that road yet I read every single Bridgerton book this this year um well I read the the Duke and I and the Viscount who loved me Mm. last year and then the rest I read this year or maybe I read the Viscount who loved me this year (sighs) what is time I'm really I'm really torn because like I really want to get the Benedict story but of course Colin and Penelope are next that makes sense they're wonderful I loved Benedict's story. I think it's my oh. favorite. <laughs> well, and Colin and Penelope's was good too. And I actually was, and we'll get, we'll get it more into the book to screen stuff in a bit, in a second, mm-hmm. but I was really irritated that they announced who Whistledown is um, mm-hmm. in the first season, because I was like, this is literally the whole Penelope Colin book. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you're telling us and then now what are you going to do with Penelope and Colin like how is their season going to go what are you doing Shondaland uh, anyway they better not shy away from the sex scene like, right if, like if they do I will be so angry yeah. <laughs> those actors deserve it yeah yeah I agree If you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member. Become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts 
are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or a season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. We're looking for advertising partners. When you support the podcast, you're supporting a woman-owned BIPOC small business. We're looking for other small business partners who want to get in front of an audience of like-minded folks looking to smash the patriarchy and make cultural change. Email popculturemakesmejealous at gmail.com to get started. One of the quickest and easiest ways to support our show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Sharing with other users why you love this show and reasons to tune in is a simple kindness that will forever go appreciated by Team Pop Culture. It makes me jealous. I'm going to be honest, writing a review is the strongest move because when you write a review, it helps that pesky algorithm tell Apple this show is loved. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for all your support, friend. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. In a variety review written by Carolyn Fumaki, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and I tried to find how to pronounce it, and I just couldn't find it. It was so irritating, but anyway, I tried. She notes that, quote, the eldest Bridgerton this season emphasizes had to grow up long before he was ready after his father's sudden death. As both his mother and sister Daphne learn in a series of genuinely moving scenes, the only way Anthony could cope with both the loss and subsequent rush of responsibility was to force himself to prioritize logic over all emotions at all costs, end quote. So what do you think of Anthony's evolution in this season? Um, I think it starts to crack because Kate knows what he went through, what he's going through. Mm-hmm. Like if they did not have that oldest sibling giving it all up for the, for the family, um, they would not, they wouldn't have nearly had that connection. So the, because even with other, possibly other Viscounts or, you know, other oldest sons, it's very possible they never had the kind of pressure that he was under or, you know, seven children to think, seven children under him to think of. Um, it's very odd to me that we're going to get Gregory and Hyacinth. <laughs> Like that just seems very strange at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they um, obviously I wanted him to go faster because, like, come on. Um, and I loved the part. I think around like episode five or six when he starts to like the whole time he's like, "This is the way. This is the way." Oh, maybe no wait. This is what I'm gonna do. Um, and and Kate doesn't do anything to help on the other side of it, but 
it's not until episode five or six that he's like, oh, I, if it's her idea, oh, there's a, there's a way to do this. But he hasn't quite thought as far, so far as to like not then get Kate. But it's the, really the first time, and his mom gives him this idea mm-hmm. that he can turn this around. It mm-hmm. just has to be Edwina's idea. Yeah. Um, and still, you know, they push forward, but um, but she deserved it. Edwina deserved her moment to tell them off a few times. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was very, his evolution was like, was just so slow. (laughs) Um, but I always, I love the moments when he and Kate are almost there Mm -hmm. and more times than not, she's the one that pulls back. Yeah. And I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, the actress that plays Kate, whose name is escaping me, she is so good. Mm-hmm. She did such a beautiful job with, like, you know, the, I don't want to call them withering stares, but you're just like, yeah, girl, <laughs> looking at you, you're in love with that man, like, 100% yeah. in love. Um, And just their banter. I thought they had great chemistry together. Um just the whole thing I thought gosh you guys did whoever the casting director was like well done you because it Mm -hmm. all fit really nicely I think this season and they had such great parallels too of the other families like with the other mothers and um oldest siblings or Mm -hmm. or just the mothers and the and what they were going through with like Lady Featherington was actually quite cunning and then her big moment at the end which I just wanted to oh I loved her she was fantastic um and Lady Danbury you know in her wonderful speech to Kate about mm-hmm. I earned this you know you don't yeah. really go into life hoping to be a widower <laughs> like, right and I earned it because I love and I earned it because I lived and yeah um and uh and who was the other one? Uh, oh, Lady Sharma. Mm-hmm. Um, the in their scenes with each other and like this understanding they have of each other and how they they need to to act and what they're doing. And I mm-hmm. I felt a little betrayed by Violet when she was so angry at the Sharmas mm-hmm. after the after the in laws came over. Um, but I also get it because I yeah. think if you found out that they might have possibly only wanted to marry your son because he was, um, yeah, yeah, for money. Um, yeah, because yeah. that's sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. So yeah, because that's another element that's hard too when it comes to wealth and power. It's like how do you trust that somebody really is falling in love with you and not just pushing this match because they know it's going to be security and that's we see a lot of that in regency era stuff it's like the women you need to marry well so that way you're secure and and all the way even up until like well shit that's it still happens now (laughs) Mm -hmm. well i mean i it didn't hit me until i was really looking at it in terms of wealth for this that 
that's why Penelope is making money. Mm-hmm. Like, she loves it. I'm sure, you know, she obviously enjoys what she's doing, but like she's making bank. Yeah. And she has to. Yeah. Nobody thinks she's going to get married. Yeah. Nobody, um, nobody thinks she's doing anything and like her family's completely ruined <laughs> and, you know, so it, and, and yeah, the whole, this, that whole idea that like maybe Anthony also, Anthony is also just not willing to believe that he could fall in love. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. And you know what? It's so, that's such a believable element too, because the way that we meet him and the way that he behaves all through season one and, you know, the relationship between he and the opera singer, you're just kind of like, like you could like you think like you love her but you're scared because the social stuff and all that stuff and that that's really hard you 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 know and then also to bringing up the featheringtons like i think that's a really good they were a really good counter to what was going on with the bridgertons um and late i think like you lady by the end of season two leading Mm -hmm. featherington i was like girl you i am in your corner (laughs) Mm -hmm. i hated her hated her like through the whole up until that last bit yeah because that's scary like i and you and i think they do a really good job at getting you to appreciate how scary it is for a woman to not have money and to be in a position where like the reputation of your husband is now going to also potentially ruin your daughters and like their prospects and just the delaying of the eldest is it the eldest or the second daughter I think it's the second daughter. The second reason. daughter. Um, her marriage because the dowry hasn't been paid yet, and you're just like, oh my god, like <laughs> just dowries. Just I know. Just can't I with know. the dowry. And like somebody mentions to Anthony after the the big blow up dinner, like you know, they're not going to get a dowry. He's like, oh. like a dowry matters to me. That's not the point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah exactly it's just, a big luxury not to have to worry about that yeah big time and it's interesting because I always thought like Vi- I don't know I didn't think Viscounts were super high on the chain of the um uh mm-hmm. hierarchy when it came to being whatever you want to call them part of the ton <laughs> fourth rank okay so fourth rank they're below a duke, Mar- Marquess, is it Marquess, an earl, but they're above a baron. So that makes sense on why the comments in other Regency era stuff about barons. Okay. Mm. Little, there's, yeah, a okay. Lot, there's a lot of Regency material. Mm-hmm. And I eat it up. I don't know why, because my people were enslaved during that time. <laughs> like, and there was this, there's somebody who was talking about how. It's just such a weird period where anybody anybody who's adapting a Regency novel or just making a Regency story is just putting whatever they want into it, mm-hmm. you know, which is what most adaptations are, but like whatever the need of the audience is at the time. But like the Regency just seems very like, oh, we can do those. Those are cheaper costumes. Or like, yeah. we have a ton of stock of those. We can just do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Gosh, so funny. 
If you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member. Become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or a season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. We're looking for advertising partners. When you support the podcast, you're supporting a woman-owned BIPOC small business. We're looking for other small business partners who want to get in front of an audience of like-minded folks looking to smash the patriarchy and make cultural change. Email popculturemakesmejealous at gmail.com to get started. One of the quickest and easiest ways to support our show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Sharing with other users why you love this show and reasons to tune in is a simple kindness that will forever go appreciated by Team Pop Culture. Makes me jealous. I'm going to be honest, writing a review is the strongest move because when you write a review, it helps that pesky algorithm tell Apple this show is loved. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for all your support, friend. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. The Netflix original is a screen adaptation of book of the book series by Julia Quinn. Book two, The Viscount Who Loved Me. The premise for both the book and season two is Viscount Bridgerton's quest to find the perfect Viscountess. There are major differences between part two of the Bridgerton saga. So how do you think season two compares to book two? (laughs) Um, Watch the series before the book. I need, so I had my prejudices. I had the people in my head um, although it was actually difficult because I think the first I did the audiobooks and I think that the voice for Anthony was also the voice of the Duke and it was very hot. Was oh, not, interesting. Either yeah, it was yeah. very close, if not the same. It was very weird. But um well, one thing I have to say, and I didn't notice this as much with the Duke who loved me, is as much as they changed, they 
they did what really good fairy tale adaptations do and they kept all the symbols Mm -hmm. they slightly changed the ring conversation but they had it they he couldn't express to anybody of course that like her smell of lily was part of what attracted him to her and he had this whole thought process on why it was lily but like they mentioned lily soap in the bath Mm -hmm. um and and there were other scenes where like they touched on those things so that if you read the book before like you had those touchstones and you you felt still in the same story so i thought adaptation wise that was really great um and i remember like after i watched season two all of this algorithm, you know, my algorithm just gave me all this like Bridgerton back Bridgerton behind the scenes. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll read it all. (laughs) (laughs) And what, and what a lot of, you know, I think what the showrunner said is like in the book, um, they are Anthony and Kate. He is wooing Edwina, but they are caught in a compromising position because of the beast thing. And it's because of that, they have to get married. And then like most of the half, second half of the book is him just admitting he loves her yeah yeah. um and it's good it was interesting but it was very weird and the showrunner had said we can't do that again like in a in a series we can't do that again and I'm I'm really glad they didn't because you know is 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 like really odd as it was for Edwina to not see it I get why she didn't. Um, I thought that let in the series, letting her have that moment after, you know, of just, she's so sweet. She's so virtuous and so perfect. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, well, fuck you all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and in the book, she's kind of like, oh yeah, well, I thought everybody, I could tell he preferred you. I'm surprised anybody thought he preferred me. And that's it. So I, it was weird because I didn't like the Edwina part of the storyline in the series until I, until it was nothing in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, um, we also don't, we don't get those mother-son scenes. Mm-hmm. We don't get those awesome speeches you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, near the end I was like is this a, is this a time is this the time we're going to get is he going to go to Violet is she going to finally like say something to him of note and like it got to the point where I got to the epilogue and I'm like I skipped a chapter I must have skipped a chapter right. <laughs> but no it, um, his brothers kind of do it to him but um, but it's not the same and yeah. it and he has this, I, I, I liked, like I said before, I liked his struggle in the series a lot better because spoilers, but in the book, he just has this idea that he's never going to, he can't surpass his father. And because, and that includes his age. Yeah. And it's so stupid. Like I got it. I bought it. I bought it. And then like halfway through, I'm like, nah, this is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's one thing if, if, you know, he thought that there was some disease or something that they, they got, but yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read the book first before watching season two, and then after having read all of the books, mm-hmm. because at first I was like, oh, I can't believe they deviated like from the formula, like whatever, so irritating, blah blah. And then I read all of the books, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, you cannot do four seasons of this formula because by the time I got to Gregory's book, I was like, okay, get it, like. Let me just, I like skimmed it. it. It's the same formula, every single book, every single book. And, and, and I think those, um, cause there's second epilogues too. So I don't know which version you rented, but I got second epilogue. Okay. So I'm like, so did she come in after with the second epilogue to kind of give us a little bit more? So we had a better, so we weren't left with like, I just read the same book over and over and over. (laughs) I don't know. Cause I, I, I thought their second epilogue was fun, but. Like, it didn't add anything. Yeah. So, you know, initially I was just like, okay, whatever. I'm so irritated with this. And then after reading every single book, it was like, okay, I get it. You had to. You absolutely had to because you cannot have four seasons, five seasons, eight seasons, whatever many seasons they're going to have of the same formula because we're going to get tired of it. I don't care how steamy the scenes are. I don't care how withering the stairs are. It, after a while, unless you space them out far enough for us to be like, we forgot what season one was about and all the details of season one. But I did make fun of it. Yeah, make fun of it with the feathering kids, like yeah. you can't do that again. Yep. But like you, I loved all the little touches that they did that kind of tied in the the main story, uh, their book, um, as much as they did. I thought that they did a really good job. I appreciate how much more they do involve the moms um, in the series compared to the book, because what the books do, it makes it very much, this is Phoebe or Phoebe. That's her real name. (laughs) (laughs) This is um, Daphne's story. And we're only focusing on Daphne and the Duke and here's Anthony and Kate. And then here's, you know, Benedict and the gal he fell in love with and so on and so forth. And the series is a really good, does a really good job at being like, this is a whole family story. Yeah. And I, I love that change because we don't have a lot of representation of families who love each other, but can also sometimes hate each other, but then they come back and love each other. Like you're either one extreme or the other on TV. And I love that they sort of tie in this, like, because it feels like, how families if you know how families could be not everyone's family is like that but if you remove the wealth and power like we mentioned earlier there's days where I'm like I just can't with my parents today and then there's days where I'm just like mom I need you to come over (laughs) and I feel like they capture that really really well yeah and I, I do love that like Colin and Benedict and Anthony um like they get drunk and mm-hmm those younger brothers are just relentless yeah with they're like dude you're being an ass like you you know it why they don't even know yet that it's Kate I think it's only like the second drunken yeah (laughs) they I think Benedict is like come on we see this and yeah but I I, it, it it was interesting like for her too that um in the book she's so much more it's so much more about her believing that anyone could love her mm-hmm. I think she was beautiful compared to Edwina and again that's the way that they they strengthened the bond and made it 
made both their attraction and why they couldn't didn't feel like they could be together so real from their their bond of being the older sibling was just mm-hmm. like oh horrible I loved it yeah and I love that they didn't tie in the whole like I'm not good enough and pretty enough to be in love with like that in the book really bothered me because it's like can we st- I mean I understand that the series was released like 20 years ago okay but still like we need to stop telling that narrative we need to stop creating things like and now like see she can be loved even though she's homely looking like mm-hmm. I hate that shit so much <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> not a fan <laughs> oh man another reason I'm like don't shy away from Penelope sex scenes it's yeah like, oh man and I thought their book was actually really good. I don't know if I was into it more because it was like, oh, this, I knew she's whistle down and calling and all these <laughs> things. And I'm so here for it. Um, so I don't know if that like changed it for me. But by, like I said, by the time I got to Gregory's book, I was just like, okay, I get it. Like, I know what's going to happen. I'm just going to skim to the good parts. <laughs> okay good I don't have maybe I'll I'll read Colin I'll read the next two because I like those two but yeah yeah they're probably gonna have to skip ahead a few years if they're gonna keep the series going yeah honestly and the books do that um because they're pretty much so like the way I read the way I read them after I got through to Eloise and Francesca too like they're all concurrently happening Mm. like Colin and Eloise are happening at the same time but they have their own separate book oh interesting yeah I was like "Mm -hmm." so I mean she Julia Quinn does a good job at like telling like showing you how they're happening at the same time but they're their own book but still again after a while it's like oh you've gotten into some scamp that somebody saw you do and now you have to get married (laughs) (laughs) oh oh yeah I don't want Eloise to get married but in the town and country interview referenced earlier Ruth offers this insight into Anthony Quote, it takes him falling in love to have a brutally honest conversation with his mother for not only her to realize, but for him to realize the enormity of it. That's exactly what I love about the complexities of human frailty, your cause and effect, and the implications that every decision you make, intentional or unintentional, has consequences. End quote. The relationships between mothers and sons often have a negative representation in pop culture, But what I love about Violet and Anthony is she understands her job as a mother isn't over just because Anthony has grown. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and joining me today. Um, Can you tell our friends at home where they can find you if they want to keep up with you? Sure. Um, uh, My website is easy. It's cindymariejenkins.com and uh, Twitter and Instagram are at cindymarieej. Um, And uh, pretty soon I'm going to have a, a fun announcement if people are interested in more about parenthood and pop culture uh, but I'll announce it all there too and I'm just so glad I had a, a reason to delve into the book and yeah. get to watch and watch that season again oh my yeah. gosh there's some really good side stories on that season too yeah I'm excited to see what they do um in future seasons too um and we'll link everything in the show notes for our friends at home so you have no excuse not to go and check everything out okay 
Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is written, edited, and produced by me, Julia Washington, and I am fueled by the incredible support system of women who allow me to run ideas, cry, melt down whenever I feel overwhelmed. I also want to do a big shout out to our Patreon community. Thank you for your continued support. It brings me great joy to bring you quality content and monthly get-togethers. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Until next time.